0: So we're jumping in on on prayer. This is part three. Um, John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21 is what we're going to be looking at. This is called the High Priestly Prayer, and Jesus is praying in front of his disciples. It's the most amount of dialogue, or I guess it's a monologue, it's the most that we see. It's the most detailed description of Jesus speaking to the Father in front of the disciples, and they recorded it for us so that we could understand Christ's heart for us, what his desire is for his church, what he wanted for his people. Jesus knew he was on his way out, and so he used this prayer not just as an an opportunity to, to cry out to the father for something that he desired to happen in the lives of the disciples. But it's also, I, as I was reading it this week, I kept thinking, have you ever, have you ever been praying with a little kid and and the kid, you know, especially around a holiday or if they want a puppy or something, you know, there'll be, they'll be like, help Nana, help Papa and give me a puppy. You know, and there's something about the prayers of of a person that reveal their heart and reveal what's going on on the inside. And so not only is Jesus speaking to his father about us, but he's doing it in front of the disciples so the disciples would know what is his heart for us when he was about to be gone. Because he was getting ready to go. He was going to go and he was going to be crucified. He was going to be, he was going to resurrect. And then he was going to ascend to heaven and certainly send the Holy Spirit to empower us for the work of ministry. But there was this, there was this kind of moment where he's like talking to his father in sight of the disciples so that they could overhear and know what was on his heart. The same way maybe your child prays for a puppy or prays for, you know, an iPad or the newest video game system in your hearing. So Jesus is helping them in that way. Um, we're going to work our way through the passage, and then I want to lead up to, uh, to a question and an encouragement. And so if you could stand with me, we'll, uh, we'll read this together. Again, this falls in the context that Jesus has been praying, and he's been covering a lot of ground in his prayer and his desire for the disciples, crying out for them to have intimacy with the Father, crying out for them to have intimacy with him. And he comes to this place in verse 20, and he says this, read with me. I do not ask for these only but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be all in one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today to understand your heart for us, but also, God, that you would give us the courage to lay our heart bare before you, According to your loving kindness in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of the things that Jesus did in this moment is he offers this kind of foreshadowing of the great commi- uh, of the great uh, commission. The great commission is the moment right before Jesus ascends into heaven after the resurrection. And he says, he says, now therefore go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you to do. And I'll be with you even to the end of the age. And so in this prayer, he gives, he gives the disciples just a little tiny sample, a little tiny taste, a little tiny flavor of this coming great commission, because he says, I don't pray this for these only, for the disciples standing in my presence right now, but I pray this for those who are going to believe in me through the word that they share with people. So in this high priestly prayer, he's not like, hey, God, I just asked that they would be intimate with me and they would know me and they'd worship me and soak in my presence. But he's he's telling them in this prayer (laughs) and calling on the Father to accomplish in their lives that they would be people who use their words to describe the glory and the excellencies of God, to share their testimonies of how God has transformed and changed their lives. I realized this week that I save testimonies for testimony time. Has anybody else done that? Like, God, like something really good's happening, and you're like, I can't wait to tell people in that moment in small group when they ask, has anything good happened? Right? And it's like, I wait, I wait, and I put it off until the moment in staff meeting when Pastor Brett's like, hey, so does anybody have any good news to share? Anybody got a testimony? And it's like, I've been waiting three weeks to share this good news with someone. I'm so glad you asked. Pastor Brett, here it is. Here's the good news. Instead of making sharing the good news a regular part of my life and just sharing some good news with people. Did you know we have, a, we have something uh, social scientists call it a bad news bias? Anybody got that? Like bad news, man. I, be- I, I, ha- I believe bad news more quickly and more readily than I believe good news. So if you told me today that was a bad sermon, I'd believe you more than if you told me it was a good sermon. I'm not asking you to test that. Please leave me alone. <laughs> it's <Right? laughs> like, not, t- not a test. It's, I'm just saying that's my bias. I, like it's so built up in me. I'm so ready for it that, you know, when I hear about a miracle, I'm like, nah, I don't know. Or somebody tells me about their, uh, um, if, or if, I, if I'm like, oh, I want to tell them about this thing. But, you know, hey, like my bone is healed, but it might break again. Right? Like my, my wife and I are, are walking really closely together. We had a little rough patch, but we're doing great. And, uh, but it might be bad again, so I better not say it. And then what we do is we sit on the good news and we let the bad news share the narrative. We make the dominant narrative the bad news instead of the good news the narrative. Does that make sense? I also allow other people to control the narrative or I allow other sources or other perspectives to control the narrative. There's all sorts of statistics out today about how churches are dying, and churches are closing, and church plants are, you know, every city in the United States is apparently a a graveyard for church planting, and nobody wants to go to church, and nobody wants to grow in relationship, nobody wants Jesus, nobody wants God, nobody wants the Bible, nobody wants relationship, we're too individualistic in the United States, nobody wants to be in a small group, and so you got people responding by going, okay, we'll go to a house church movement because they don't want big church, and then you turn around and you're like, the people in the small churches are kind of experiencing the same same problem because the problems that are the same, the the problems in the big churches and the problem in the house churches are are the same problem. It's the people. It's the people. If you've come here because you like somebody's personality, small church is not the answer to solve that problem. It's a soul problem. It's an us problem. It's a people problem. So we can either we can either believe the lie that that people don't want God anymore they don't need God anymore because we see the longing more than ever we see it expressed we see the needs of our our culture more and more and we see the kind of the decay of of society in and in, 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 in that's sign that's evidence that we're crying out for and need the presence of God in our lives more than ever before and so but we can choose to believe one of two narratives people either don't want God anymore and they don't need him or the harvest is plentiful. Which is something Jesus said. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. He also said the workers are few. Pray earnestly for laborers to enter the harvest field. And so either in this moment we can believe what the world is saying about the world. We don't need God. Or we can believe what Jesus said about the world. The harvest is plentiful. Which narrative are you believing? The Bible says children are a blessing. The world has a lot to say about. Right? But which narrative? It is hard. It is. Waking up in the middle of the night while they're young and then staying up in the middle of the night when they're older. You just kind of never get past it, do you? You know, like wondering, are they going to get into the right school? And then wondering if they're going to get the right job. Wondering if they're going to make it through school. Wondering if they're going to make it in their job. We never kind of grow out of being a parent. We kind of stay in this place where if we're, if we're prone to worry, if we're prone to fear, we're going to stay prone to worry and fear their entire life. It's not just for a season. If we're honest, you know, when, when, you, have your, when you have your baby, you, you run in when they're sleeping in the beginning and you're like, are you still breathing, right? When they're sleeping, you remember doing that? That panic, like, oh, they haven't, they haven't cried in three hours. I better go check on them. <laughs> like, are they alive? But that, that instinct doesn't leave you as a parent later because, because of the narrative of bad news. But the Bible calls them a blessing. So which one are we going to believe about it? Um, and so we have the, we have, these, these choices. And so um, so Jesus is telling us, I have no idea how I got on that, but Jesus is telling the disciples, and he's asking the Father in heaven to move on the disciples' hearts, that, that they would make disciples. This foreshadowing of the Great Commission. So this is not just for the disciples who heard it. This is for the disciples and the disciples that the disciples made. Right? And we are fruit of them being faithful to this. Because those people made disciples we're here today incapable of making disciples i heard somebody say recently that that um that the church is only is only one generation away from extinction all the time i felt that as a campus minister as a campus minister in college ministry it was like the campus ministry was really one semester away from extinction all the time cuz all you have to do is not make disciples And then it's gone. And so Jesus' concern wasn't just for them at that moment. His concern was for the generations and generations that would follow, which is us. And his concern is also for today, for the generations and the generations that would follow. And we have the opportunity to cooperate with him in that. And so so, um, we've learned in this series already that prayer is a gift. Pastor Eddie talked about just how we can run to the one who can save us. We've got this option. We can run to all kind of people, all kind of things. But run to the one who will save you. And we learned that it's also a tool. It's a weapon. Pastor Jermaine shared last week from Ephesians 6. And you're putting on the breastplate of righteousness. you got your, your sword of truth, your, your shield of faith. You've got all these things built up all the way up. And you're all ready for battle. And then you call in Jesus to fight on your behalf Amen. through prayer. It's our great weapon. To fight the things that we don't even know we're fighting against. Prayer is also, though, an expression of our heart directed towards God, and we express our heart to God through words. He's spoken to us through through His Word. He gave He gave us the Bible. The Bible is is an extraordinary. Uh, it, it's, it's an extraordinary work, right? It's, it's not just one thing. It's all, you know, 1500 years of 50 different authors talking about God from all of these different perspectives, telling the same story. And if you look at the Jesus Storybook Bible at the Resource Center, maybe we've got like two. So don't like go on Amazon. So so the Jesus Storybook Bible helps you see the the, the arc, the narrative, the story that's being told by all of these people through all these generations. And and, and one of the things I love most about the Bible is that they don't hide anything from us. You see the struggles of the men and the women of God who loved him and pursued him. You see that there's a prostitute who became the great-grandmother of really important people. And you see that David was an adulterer and had somebody knocked off. And, you know, so you're like, man... Like, the Bible is so blunt and real. And if we had something to hide, we'd just rip the page out, you know, 2,000 years ago when they saw that it was awkward. Like, hey, do we really want murderers and prostitutes representing us? We could just fix this problem right now. I'll just burn it. Nobody will ever know. But they left it in there because they know it can stand the test because it's true. So he speaks to us this way. He also speaks to us through, by, by his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is God, and he speaks to us and he tells us things and he reminds us of the things that are written in here and directs us towards this. That's why it's important that we read our Bibles so we can test the language and we can go, oh, you know, can, can I believe this? Is it true? Well, is it, is it here? Then it's, it's true. If it doesn't feel like here, then it's probably not true. So prayer is our opportunity to talk back to him about the things that are on your hearts. And there are all kinds of prayers. Some of my favorite prayers in the Bible. Exodus 4.13. Moses said, Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> Has anybody prayed that prayer before God? Lord, please send someone else. Like, I'm not in the mood. I don't want to. It would be great to do this any other way. Send someone else. I, I love that prayer. I love Judges one. Um, so after the death of Joshua, uh, the Israelites asked the Lord. So, they, so they're getting ready to go and take the Canaanites, which are like warriors. And, and, and they're gonna, they're, there's going to be this battle and people are going to die. And there are 12 tribes of, of Israel. And, and so this is, this is their prayer. The Israelites said, Lord, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? What an awesome prayer! <laughs> you know, like, Because I know I don't feel led. Which one of these other people should give to this building campaign? <laughs> Oops. R- which one of these other people should work in kids ministry? Oh, it's getting awkward. Which one of these other people should try out for the worship team? If one more person tells me we've got too many black people in the front line of vocals... If one more way, without trying out for the worship team, man, you want me to sing? Is that what you're telling me? Right? Is that, is that why people tell me that? Yeah, I hope you're not clapping because you want me to sing. (laughs) Because we want to, I'll make a joyful noise. But right, like, so, you know, we observe these things, we observe these problems, and then we pray, God, who should do it? Because clearly it's someone else. You know, that's how I felt about Sterling. We've talked about this before. They need, Pastor DeHaan moved to L.A. to plant a church. And, and we were a video venue. And they needed somebody to come in and, and be the lead guy here. And, and, you know, I was having fun on campus. College ministry, man, it's rowdy. It's exciting. My best sermon illustrations were robbing liquor stores and smoking crack. That's what I talked about. Which is why a lot of the people, when I started preaching here, are now gone. <laughs> <laughs> because those were my preaching illustrations. And they were like, not having it, man. That doesn't work with this audience. And it was like, well, I don't know what works. I don't, I don't even have a suit. I don't know how to do this. But, um, but you know, it was, like, it was like, I don't, somebody else can, can do it. But I didn't realize that's where the blessing of God was for me. So we pray, God, if you should go first, because if somebody's going to die, it's not going to be me. Right, so send somebody else to work with the youth. Should I keep going? Okay, we'll keep going. Send somebody else to be the usher. Easter, send somebody else for Easter Sunday. I, I want I time. Want, <laughs> right? Because we need, we need volunteers. How many volunteers do we need? Do we have a number? All of you. Do y'all, do y'all know what Easter is like here? We host our Chantilly family. And, and it's awesome to do. It's such a great privilege. And this place is like a powder keg on Easter Sunday because they, people we come ready to worship and they come ready to worship and it just sets off. It is awesome. But we need you to serve. So please don't say which of the Israelites should go first. Which one of the grace covenants should go first? Well, well I'm not a member yet, so I can't serve. Yes, you can serve in the parking lot. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes, you can. Which one of us should go talk to our child? <laughs> you take this one. <laughs> you go tell pastor. Send someone else. Daniel twelve eight. I heard what he said, but I didn't understand what he meant. This is Daniel <laughs> speaking to an angel of the Lord. So I asked, how will this finally end, my Lord? <laughs> Man, if that's not honest. When you pray that prayer, you normally don't get the answer you want in the moment. It's going to hurt. John chapter 20, I was talking to somebody about that this morning. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking specifically to Peter. You know, the, there's this moment, if you've, if you've been in church for a while, you probably heard this moment where, where Peter's like one of the, one of the uh, most outspoken disciples. And so he, he makes a lot of mistakes, and, and, but he gets a lot right. And, and he's talking to Jesus and Jesus is like, do you love me? And he's like, yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know what I'm talking about that moment? You've heard that talked about? Great. So then, so then right after that is, is actually where my favorite part is because Jesus is like, and you're going to die a miserable death. And we, live, we leave that part out of those sermons normally. Right? Because they're like, oh, I love you, Lord. I'll serve you. I'll feed your sheep and your lambs and do all the things. And he's like, and then Jesus is like, you're going to die. And it's going to be ugly. And, and the way that it describes the death, it doesn't, I love the way, the Bible is so awesome. It's, it's, it's so, so it says that, like the way they described his death, um, you, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and letters to the Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, anybody else? Any other pastors still sing a song to find their Bible? No, <laughs> Pastor Jermaine actually has his memorized. So he, says, um, so he says, the Bible describes it this way. It tells him how he's going to die. And then it says, this is to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. Not by what kind of miserable death he was going to experience. But by the kind of death by which he was going to glorify God. And then after this, he said, now follow me. That same thing he said at the beginning. He's saying it again now. And then Peter turned and saw the disciple that Jesus loved who didn't hear that same story about himself. And he, he, Peter goes, what about, what about that guy? <laughs> this is just as much a prayer as any other verse I've already read. He looks at Jesus and he prays, what about that disciple that you love so much? Can he die too? Maybe die first. <laughs> Maybe die instead. I know you're a fan of the dying instead thing, Jesus. Like we got the whole Passover thing and scapegoats and we got all this history. Like, they're like people can die for other people. I know that's kind of a thing in Christianity that's about to happen. that doesn't exist quite yet, but it's going to in like a sh- little short little while. Can John die instead? And Jesus is like, it's none of your business. And that's why we don't always like the answer that God comes back with when he said how does this end because Jesus might come back with it's none of your business in well he says it um, different than that he says he, he says Lord uh, uh, Peter said uh, Lord what about this man Jesus said to him if it's my will that he remain until I come what's that to you <laughs> 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 gangster Jesus <laughs> what's that to you mind your business That's above your pay grade, buddy. You don't have security clearance for that. And then he says, you follow me. Leave the end up to me. You follow me. I want to just, I want to ask this question. What I love about those prayers is that they laid their heart bare before God and sometimes we can so spiritualize our prayers that we're not honest with him. I just want to ask this question. Have you um, opened up before God? And what are you talking to God about? Are you talking to God? Are you praying? Are you taking advantage of this gift that God has given us? Are you taking advantage of this of this weapon that God has given us in prayer. That as we speak to him, he moves on our behalf. As we cry out to him, he he transforms our heart, he transforms our life, but then he moves outside of us as well. It's It's not just this passive thing, it's that when we cry out to God, other things start moving because he's built it into his creation to work that way. And when we ask him for things, he does things. He says, ask, seek, and knock. Not just to waste your time, but so that you can be formed in the process and you can be brought into what he wants to do and you can play a a meaningful role in what God is doing in the earth. That's the opportunity that he gives us in prayer. But are you doing it? I remember helping a friend pray one time for the first time. I said, "So hey, I'm, could you go ahead and just just pray?" and and he's like, "I've never prayed before." I said, "Well, whatever, we'll just just talk to him like he's in the room." And he goes, "Well, hey, God, nice to meet you. Uh, not sure what to talk to you about, but uh, pretty excited about learning how to do this." And um, the end. <laughs> I was like, I was like, dude is perfect. I was like, that is awesome. What a great first conversation. You left room to grow? you like, it's great. You told him how you're feeling? Like, let's go. Come on. And then his conversation grew. God, can you, can you, can you meet me today? I want to know where you're working. I want to know what you would have me do. I want my heartbeat to be your heartbeat. And then you start to grow in language the same way a little kid uses awkward sentences and then grows up and can can speak in paragraphs. I'm I'm persuaded that some of the most most answered prayers are the least refined ones. It's not my it, it's it's not my best prayers that like my most eloquent prayers that that really I felt God meet me in it's the sloppy ones and where I felt dumb you know and and you're like well that was awkward and and I hope that that was okay and I don't even know I mean I had a prayer I had a prayer meeting this week in my car It was me and God and I was I was yelling I was just I was like I don't God I'm I'm stuck here. I don't even know what to do. Just tell me what to do and and I I help me. And then and then as I start talking to him my my conversation starts changing and I start realizing, you know, and then I start learning and he downloads to you the Holy Spirit speaks to you while you do this. Can anybody, has anybody ever done that? You start praying one way and then God turns you the other way. I was praying for somebody today and I was like, I'm gonna pray for you till I get something. And, and I was praying and I was like, this is just kind of, it was kind of awkward. And then finally I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and I was like, so this is what you need to know. God hasn't forgotten you. Sorry it took me a minute. But it didn't matter that it took me a minute. God was just happy to listen to me. He was just glad I was coming. I don't care what my kids want to talk to me about. I just want them talking to me. I don't care how outrageous the request is. I just want them telling me. I love it at Christmas. They want these huge things. It's like, that's great. I love that you like those huge things. Are there any small things in your heart that you would like as well? (laughs) So you want a car that goes 40 miles an hour. What I hear you saying is you want something neat. (laughs) or a small car, which really gets you off the hook, a little matchbox thing. But are you talking to God? What are you talking to him about? We need to keep moving. This was Jesus's prayer, that there would be unity among believers. There'd be unity with God and that his disciples would be a light to the world. And that's what we're going to look at very quickly he, 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 in John seventeen twenty one he says that they may all be one. Now, this being one follows the Trinity being unified. So the, Jesus and the Father are currently unified. And because they're unified, he says, I want them to all be one. And I want them to be in us. It's one in us. I should have bolded that too. So you see like right below the word be, two lines down, it says uh, in us. Or right below may and all, it says in us. That they may, be all, may, they may all be one in us is the prayer. That's his desire for us. The whole Disney thing of like, it's a small world after all, be, other than being an absolutely torturous song and, and just like, ugh. our desire for this utopic society is not one that comes from us. It's one that comes from God. But it's not going to be satisfied through our own efforts. It's satisfied as we're in him together. So I intentionally said unity among believers because there won't ever be the unity across the whole world that everybody wants outside of God. It's something that exists inside of him. Because as we come to him, our lives are transformed, our priorities change, we are made more into him his image and as we're made into his image and as we're transformed, now we're able to relate to one another and be unified. But without that transforming uh, power of God working on our lives and changing us into something new, being able to to live together in unity is going to be an impossibility because we love ourselves too much. I love me too much to live in unity with my, even my wife, without God moving on my heart. Which is perhaps why the divorce rate is high. I need, I need, I, I'm, I'm so selfish. I, I couldn't be the father that my kids need me to be without the transformation, transformational power of God working in my life. He, him working in my life allows me to be more the father that they need than I'd be able to be without Him because God makes me less selfish. The goal of Christianity isn't to be a better person, but I will tell you that being a Christian has made me a better human. It's made me a much better version of what God intends, but that's not the end goal of it. But he does transform me and make me a better human in the process. We're going to see what a big part of that goal is, but it's not just so that I can be good to be good. It's so that I can be good to glorify God. And you look at the bar that's set. He's like, if you look at this kind of as a whole, oh, I'll get to that in a minute. Never mind. I was going to get ahead. I've already come up with this point and it's in my sermon. In Genesis chapter 17, there's this same idea. And then Exodus 6, 7 and Jeremiah, it, it, there's this echoing thing. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and I will be your people. I will protect you, provide for you, care for you, supply your needs and, and, and bring you into a land where you can prosper. All you have to do is honor me. All throughout scripture is this promise over and over and over and over and over. And then Jesus is praying the same thing. He's like, I want them to be one and I want them to be in me because if they're one in me, they can inherit the, the things, the blessings that I have for them. But if they're not one in me, they're not going to be able to steward the blessings that I have for them and they'll squander it. They'll lose it. They won't be able to hold it. It'll just sink right through their fingers because they don't, they're not close enough. They're not closed enough. They can't hold what I want to give them. So we need to be in him in order to do it. And so he says, so he says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. He's like, basically, the the same way you and I are one, we're unified, we're the same. I want them to be that much inside of us. So I want them to be unified in us, but then I want them to be unified with us tied into us so that where the heart of God goes, his people goes and, and we don't go where, where he doesn't go. You know, there's some places that God, that, where the church has departed from where God is going or we like you know we're you're tracking with him and you're going with him and then and then God God's God's up to what he's been doing all along but man we'd much rather be this way because this would be more acceptable to someone or this will be cooler or this will be more acceptable or or something else and so we we veer off of where God is going and we're no longer walking in unity with him we're not in step with the holy spirit Maybe it'll be easier to understand it on a personal level. There are, some, there are some places that I have gone in my life that weren't in step with the Holy Spirit. I was a believer and I maybe went to see a movie where I was kind of like, hey, Holy Spirit, if you could just hang out right here by the box office. I'm going to go see the movie and we'll hook up afterwards. You could maybe go see Finding Dory. And I'm going to <laughs> go see this other movie and, and we'll just, we'll meet up. Have some snacks, maybe get some dinner afterwards. Not talk about the movies we saw. Just act like we never went. Right? Just the pastor. Maybe it wasn't a movie for you. Maybe it wasn't a movie for me. nachos <laughs> let's not act like it let's act like I didn't eat that big plate <laughs> or order it let's throw the receipt away and act like that never happened Jermaine <laughs> that the world may believe that you have sent me <laughs> the bar for the world believing <laughs> that Jesus comes from heaven and is God The bar is so low. (laughs) Let them be unified, (laughs) and then the whole world will know that I'm king, that I'm God, that I'm Lord. (laughs) That's a really low bar. He wasn't like let them, you know, walk on water and fly through the sky, and let them eradicate all disease and let them like get rid of all cancer. He's like, let's give them a real miracle. People walking in unity. People walking in unity. That'll be the kind of miracle that'll show the world that I am who I said I am. And I can do what I said I would do. It's a miracle that only happens as we're in him. It's only a miracle that happens as we walk with one another and near to one another. It's a miracle that only happens as we pray with one another and labor with one another and and fight for one another and fight with one another and get through our fight and we're stronger because of it. And and I I have deeply offended some people in this room and our relationships are better off because of it. And I've been deeply offended by some people in this room and our relationship is better off because of it. One person I offended gave me a Bible after I offended him as a gift. Because he's an amazing Christian, Pastor Eddie. <laughs> I wronged him. I wronged you. I wronged him. And he came to me and confronted me on wronging him and loved me. And it was like, in here that you might like this. And I don't think he wasn't that wasn't like shade. He wasn't being like, maybe you should read your Bible, buddy. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should try this out. It was interesting the verses you highlighted for me. (laughs) That that, that was that was really quite a gift. (laughs) You know, (laughs) there were no verses highlighted. Just a message in the front under deceased But he loved he loved me. I I I thought you know speaking ambiguously about people who have offended and I've offended and and everything else. I was like, oh well, maybe if it was too ambiguous, I offended Pastor Eddie. And I was wrong. And he came to me and loved me, and our relationship's better for it. He's a ride or die. And so nothing's going to slip through our hands as we're entrusted with things, because we're unified. This is what God wants for his church. This is what he wants for us, Grace Covenant Church. This is what he wants for his body across the world, not just, I mean, he He wants it at every single level. He wants it in your family. He wants this for your small group that you're going to join. He wants this for our congregation, he wants this for Grace Covenant Church, he wants it for every nation, he wants it for the kingdom of God at large in the United States, he wants it for the glo- he wants it regionally, he wants it globally. This is his heart's cry for us. And this is what's available to us. So um, we can we can look at this a couple different ways, so I'm going to give you the benefit of both and then and then just pray just to raise the question. I would say are your is your heart in tune with God's priorities? As he prayed his priorities and in, inside of his disciples, is your heart in line with his priorities? But then I would, well, actually, I'll just make it one question. Is your heart in line with his priorities? And that'll be exposed through the way that we live and the prayers that we pray. This isn't this isn't a model to pray. Like, we don't have to, to like, pray in that sequence. But is your heartbeat his heartbeat right now? And if it's not, I want to pray for us that he would bring our hearts in line with his heart. Amen? Amen. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would turn our hearts, that you would mold our priorities, that you would bend us, in, bend our minds, bend our hearts, bend our wills to be in line with your priorities. God, that you would give us a hunger and an, and an appetite for your presence, that we would delight in and thirst for your goodness we'd be dissatisfied with every other flavor that we would otherwise uh uh displace you with god that we wouldn't seek after uh movies or sports or or career or money or promotion for our satisfaction but we would find it in you and God I ask that you would give us the courage to live close enough with one another close enough in relationship with one another that that, that we would be a sign, we would be a light to the world, But that, that indeed you do live, indeed you are alive even today, not just that you were sent then and you died and rose from the dead as a historical fact but you died and rose from the, the dead as a, as a present reality and a future Promise, God, let that be the sign that comes from Grace Covenant Church in Sterling, that you are on the throne and that you do love us and you do care for us and you want good things for us. And God, we thank you for this gift of prayer. And I ask that as we pray, our hearts would turn and be in line with you so that our heartbeat would be your heartbeat. Our prayers would be your prayers. Our mindset would be your mindset for ourselves, for our family, for our church, for our community. And God, I pray for a greater level of unity in this house than ever before that you would pour out your spirit on us and we would see you glorified in us that we would see your glory as we're unified and that you would move mightily among us that people would be saved that people would be healed that the community would be changed and nobody's life would ever be the same because of what you do in this house in this season in this time according to your loving kindness and your faithfulness god we thank you we exalt you and we worship you in jesus name Amen.